0: Tuesday, November 10th. I'm Martine Powers. This is an election update from Post Reports. So what are the kinds of conspiracy theories that we have seen start to spread in the days since the election?
1: Oh my gosh, there's so many. So there are the Ballots being magically found in Michigan. More people voting than registered voters in Wisconsin. Sharpie felt tip. Pens invalidating votes in Arizona. Trump ballots being burned in the forest. Ballots being found in a dumpster. Vote counters ripping up ballots, filling out new ballots or copying ballots. People getting ballots in the mail that are already filled out. Trump saying they're not allowing canvas watchers into watch the ballots being counted. Mysterious, shadowy people wheeling ballots into the election center when it was really just a TV news crew. Drew Harwell is a tech reporter for The Post. All of these things have been disproven, right? All of these are ideas that people in the media, including us, uh, chase down to try and understand. And in every case we found, it was just not accurate. Some of these are being shared online right now with videos that have been taken out of context or misused or just misunderstood. And we've seen these conspiracy theories that have been debunked for you know, at this point, half a week that are still getting tens of thousands of retweets a day, just exploding across the web in a way that makes it really hard to quash.
0: And have social media companies been responding to these bogus claims that are being disseminated over their platforms?
1: They are, actually. And it's funny because, you know, four years ago when we had an election that had a lot of, you know, people lying about stuff and a lot of conspiracy theories. The sites like Facebook and Twitter just sort of sat on their hands and said, you know, we're a marketplace for ideas. We're not an arbiter of truth. We're just going to be here and let people share whatever information they want. So they really didn't take a, a very aggressive stance at knocking down some of these really bogus, proven false claims. But this year, anybody who has been on Donald Trump's Twitter account can see that pretty much everything he has posted in the last couple of days has been marked as disputed or misleading for an election. And what that does is instead of just seeing it in your feed, you'll have to click through a little warning sign, a little disclaimer that says this is false. And then for a while, it prevented you from even, you know, commenting on it or sharing it or liking it or retweeting it. And and you've seen this on Facebook too, where there was this little disclaimer with a little exclamation point underneath it, almost like a a pack of cigarettes.
0: These tweets are dangerous for your health.
1: Yeah. Yeah, these tweets are dangerous for your health. Go elsewhere if you want like good, healthy information. Which is crazy, right? Like this is the president. This is somebody we should be, you know, um and, and maybe this is like maybe we've all just kind of normalized this over the last four years. But
0: but that under other circumstances that this is someone that we should be able to listen to without having disclaimers.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, this is somebody that should be an authority on these kinds of things. And yet it's these private tech companies in California that are actually, like, drawing a line in the sand and saying, let's not just distribute false, bogus claims on our site.
0: But even if we are seeing some of these tech companies be more proactive with some of these conspiracy theories about the election are there still ways in which this bogus information is actually effective in changing the minds of Americans or making them truly question the results of the election?
1: So that's like the million dollar question, right? And that's always the question we think about with disinformation. Viral memes, viral videos that are bogus. I mean, we know that they can uh, validate people's prior beliefs. They can make people motivated. If you, if you If you don't like Joe Biden and you see a tweet that he stole the election, um, maybe you're going to believe it. Maybe you're not going to chase it down or fact check it as willingly as you as you might, because, hey, this is something that helps your side. Does it convince people on the other side that the vote was rigged? That's really hard to say, like, are there people in the middle or on the left who are seeing these claims by President Trump and saying, Hey, wait, i I don't trust the process anymore i I, I kind of believe what what Donald Trump is saying. it It's really hard to say, but I think the reality of it is that all this disinformation has to do to accomplish its mission is so doubt, right? It doesn't have to be proven true over a long enough timeline, it just has to spark these questions in people's minds where they start to disbelieve the shared reality that we all sort of occupy and disbelieve the media or disbelieve the fact checkers or disbelieve Joe Biden or whoever, and start to think, I don't know what's true. And it's too much work to really know the truth. So I'm just going to kind of go along with what I see online.
0: And I think that's where you start to see some of these conspiracy theories also align with the president's legal strategy, that if you argue these things in court, if you file lawsuits or try to get the the counting of votes to be stopped or, or to say that that count is inaccurate, that even if the lawsuit is baseless, even if it's pretty quickly dismissed by a judge who realizes that there's no evidence there, just the appearance of using legal mechanisms to make those arguments and to spread those conspiracy theories, I think give them an air of legitimacy or validity or that there's like a there there at the center of this lawsuit. Um, that that I think is actually uh, convincing for a lot of people, or makes them think that these false claims are something that could actually be argued.
1: Yeah, totally. And the cliche in conspiracy world is, "Hey, I'm just asking questions, right? I'm just wondering what what is the truth." Hey, I saw this video about people throwing away ballots. I don't know, it seemed kind of real. I'm just asking questions when really, I mean, I I do believe that it's real, right? I do believe that there's something, some funny business here. Or, you know, I, I side with President Trump in his legal war over this election that has no proof of fraud anywhere. And so the strategies are very parallel. And, you know, that's been President Trump's strategy for a long time. And the strategy for a his family and his supporters and his allies. And so that legal strategy is now playing out in a a lot of different courtrooms and in sort of an environment where they have to bring evidence to convince a judge to see their side. And and as we've seen so far, they're really not achieving their goal because there is really no evidence to widespread voter fraud.
0: And I wonder what you think is the potential conclusion to all this. Like, I'm curious about with other types of conspiracy theories that have taken hold uh, in American history. Like, do we expect that this is something that is going to uh, kind of spread like wildfire, become more more of a problem for Biden in coming months, the fact that there will be Americans who believe that this election was stolen? Or is this the kind of thing where maybe it'll just kind of flame out, that the president will complain about it? You'll have a few people who actually believe him, but that eventually— the baselessness of these of these claims will begin to fizzle out.
1: So I don't have a crystal ball, but I am a world class bubble burster. And I don't think there is much reason for optimism that these sorts of theories will be going away. 60 million people voted for President Trump. They believe him enough to Mark him on the ballot. And he has shown through sort of his Twitter tirades, but also his legal strategy, that he's not dropping this argument that the election was stolen from him. And so many people are going to believe him to the end that this was a clear robbery. And, you know, the thing about political disinformation viral videos like this, conspiracy theories, they're emotional more than they're logical, right? They're not really based in facts. They're based in intuition, a feeling. And if you trust Trump, if you're emotionally to the point where you believe he has your best intentions at heart and that you think he deserves a place in the White House, you're going to go along with his very angry argument that this election was rigged from the start. And so I don't think that argument is going away. And I don't think these conspiracy theories are going away because what they do for people is they allow them a clean, simple explanation to these really complicated problems. And so as long as there are people like President Trump and his allies banging that gong online and, and using the tools of social media to get their message across that message isn't going away and it's as we've seen it's going to keep evolving and adapting and, and changing to explain away different things but as a political weapon it's not going anywhere
0: Drew Harwell is a tech reporter for The Post. The list of the president's allies supporting this false election narrative is growing. On Monday, Attorney General Bill Barr reversed longstanding DOJ policies. He gave prosecutors the green light to look into election irregularities. And he did that despite the fact that there is no evidence of any irregularities. That same day, the head of the Justice Department's Election Crimes Unit stepped down in protest.
2: First, we saw Republicans quiet over the weekend as most major networks called the election for Joe Biden. And then President Trump really started ramping up his rhetoric and that this was stolen. And come Monday, when the Senate in particular came back in session, Senate Republicans to some degree and to others, a lesser degree, started repeating some of those claims or at the very least not criticizing the president. And and they are giving him largely a break on making, so far has been unproven and even baseless voter fraud claims about this election.
0: Amber Phillips analyzes politics for the fix. She's been reporting on the fact that even though President Trump didn't win, Republicans in Congress found embracing him was still a winning campaign strategy.
2: I think a question I have is how long Republican politicians and officials can keep this up. Republicans, when I talked to them the morning after election night, they were kind of shocked with how much President Trump had fulfilled their hopes that President Trump would help rise them up with voters. A good example of this is Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. He faced the toughest Senate race of his career, polls, which were clearly off had, you know, him tied with his Democratic challenger, Jamie Harrison at the very end, or maybe him only a couple points ahead. The
0: poll shows both Graham and Harrison at 48% among likely South Carolina voters. Well, Graham
2: ended up winning by low double-digit points.
0: We did it! And I don't mean me, I mean we.
2: And, you know, Trump easily won South Carolina as well. What Democrats saw was a loyalty to the president and, and a loyalty to the Republican brand in a way that surprised both sides, frankly. why do you think that
0: is, that the effects of Trumpism in some cases were even more effective for candidates who were
2: not Trump than they were for Trump? That is the question Republicans are trying to figure out as well, and Democrats, I would say. Martine, when I talk to some of them, they're saying, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I don't know. They're sifting through the data. One thing you hear Republican leaders in Congress say over and over again is they feel like the president is able to talk to these voters Uh, that Republican candidates could never have reached. And he's done that in 2016 and again in 2020. They don't necessarily have an answer for why Trump kind of underperformed some of these Republican candidates, but they were able to bring out people who were just willing to vote Republican. A couple of theories I've heard, Martine, is that Trump's law and order message really resonated, particularly with House Republican messaging, um, particularly in states like New York, about law and order and trying to paint their Democratic challengers and candidates as extreme. Uh, Another, you know, idea I've heard is Trump was just able to talk about the economy in a way that, that made voters want to vote Republican in a way that the polls didn't capture.
0: And how are we already starting to see Republican leadership Take those takeaways and think about how to adapt them for the future, especially for a future where President Trump is not President Trump.
2: Two things I'm seeing among Republican leaders in their public comments right now are that they're going to follow the rules of of, uh, behaving in a world where Trumpism dominates their base. And the two top rules for that is don't criticize the president. And praise the president a lot. So for the second one, praising the president, the top House Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy in California, he went out on Fox News on Wednesday and he said, oh, my gosh, President Trump knew it. He knew why the poll of the American public was really not about the pollsters. You know, he knew it was all about how to get Americans out to vote. And then also on Wednesday, you had Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell who held a news conference in Kentucky? And reporters asked him, Well, what do you think of the president declaring victory Tuesday night in the White House when there is no victory yet? And McConnell, knowing full well that the president, you know, could lose at that time at that moment in time, carefully tiptoed around it the way he has every other time when Trump is president. So there seems to be still this sense in the Republican Party that you can't knock Trumpism, at least not explicitly if you want to win primaries and general elections.
0: Can you give some examples of, in the months before the election, what some candidates did to make clear decisions to align themselves with President Trump or connect themselves with President Trump?
2: There are at least four new members of Congress from across the country coming in who I think just wrapped themselves in Trump's id or or embraced some of the darker aspects attributed to the president, for example, like conspiracy theories about QAnon that the president, you know, never denounced in any explicit way. There's also his former White House doctor, Ronnie Jackson, who, as he started running for Congress, uh, ended up, you know, defending Trump's handling of the coronavirus pandemic and started using deep state language uh, about President Obama, even though he used to work for Obama. And Obama folks told my colleague Colby Ickowicz that they, they, they thought Ronnie Jackson liked them. You know, Madison Cawthorn in North Carolina is an up-and-coming conservative star. You know, what he tweeted after he won was, cry more libs, which many took as like a middle finger to bipartisanship. And I think those are good examples of a new element of the Republican Party, a stronger Trumpian element of the Republican Party that Republican leaders are going to have to figure out how to deal with.
0: Do you see corollaries here with the rise of the Tea Party in 2010?
2: I think so. But this is also something that has completely defined the entire Republican Party. Right. Like where, where I think with the Tea Party, Republican leaders held them at a safe distance as much as they possibly could. That's just not something that Republican leaders were able to do because that element of the party that they might want to to hold far at arm's length was the president of the United States and uh, was leading their party. And I think Republicans, even in private, if they want to criticize the president, and they certainly do, and they want to criticize people who try to follow in the footsteps of the president, they feel like President Trump helped them reach voters they never could have. I mean... Two presidential cycles in a row to have Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, super tight. um, And Trump to win them at least once is just remarkable for Republicans. And there's a lot they want to learn from that element of the party that I don't think they have yet.
0: So when you look at the takeaways of who won and lost from election night, How do you see that shaping the identity of these parties going forward?
2: Republicans understand that some aspects of Trumpism are here to stay. I was talking to a Republican strategist, a Trump critic, who said, Maybe it's not like the firebrand rhetoric, although there's certainly some of that in these in newer members of Congress um, and QAnon supporters even winning elections on Tuesday. But maybe it's more about the policies. Maybe Republicans don't embrace uh, trade nearly as much as they used to. Maybe suddenly they're the party of tariffs, which would be even without Trump in office uh, anymore. And that would be just a complete 180 from the traditional Republican orthodoxy. then the question Democrats need to ask themselves is, are they still the party that campaigns against this Trumpian sentiment, um, both on policy and rhetoric and try to tie it uh, either overtly or implicitly to racism and sexism? You know, as one Republican put it to me, orange man, bad kind of politics. Like maybe that didn't work for them this time. And, and even if the Republican Party still wants to retain some aspects of Trump, how hard do Democrats push against that, especially with the president out of office?
0: Amber Phillips analyzes politics for the fix.